0: Hello, welcome to the bore you to sleep podcast, the podcast that will hopefully help you get to sleep. I am going to read an open source book, one that is not particularly interesting, but one that is hopefully boring enough to get you to sleep. With supply chains becoming more complex, you need to stay on top of the latest logistics developments. So if you work with logistics, you need the Beyond the Box podcast from Maersk. It's the easy way to keep up to date with everything from digital disruption in logistics to the need for supply chain resilience in today's market. Find out more and keep ahead of the game with the Beyond the Box podcast on logistics insights at maersk.com slash insights. At Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com wonder. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot... That's great The idea is for them to assist you with becoming sleepy If you do like them Please go online to your favourite podcast app Leave a comment Or like the episode It's much appreciated readings are going to continue on from Henry James's The Awkward Age. I've really enjoyed reading these stories because they're not particularly interesting and they're easy to listen to. You may hear a little background noise this evening. I apologize. I'm recording in a different location. However, I still wanted to ensure that I read a story in order to get another episode out to you guys. Hope you enjoy listening to the fourth chapter of The Awkward Age, titled Mr. Cashmore. And just a reminder, if you do enjoy it when you get up tomorrow, please hit the like button on the podcast app or leave a comment. Thank you very much. Harold Brookenham, whom Mr. Cashmore ushered in and announced, had found in the act of helping himself to a cup of tea at the table apparently just prepared. Harold Brookenham arrived at the point with a dash so direct as to leave the visitor an option between but two suppositions that of a desperate plunge to have his shame soon over, or that of the acquired habit of such appeals, which had taught him the easiest way. There was no great sharpness, in the face of Mr. Cashmore, who was somehow massive without majesty. Yet he mightn't have had proof against the suspicion that his young friend's embarrassment was an easy precaution, a conscious corrective to the danger of audacity. It wouldn't have been impossible to divine that if Harold shut his eyes and jumped, it was mainly for the appearance of doing so. Experience was to be taken as showing that one might get a five-pound note as one got a light for a cigarette, but one had to check the friendly impulse to ask for it in the same way. Mr Cashmore had in fact looked surprised, yet not on the whole was so surprised as the young man seemed to have expected of him. There was almost a quiet grace in the combination of promptitude and diffidence with which Harold took over the responsibility of all proprietorship of the crisp morsel of paper that he slipped with slow firmness into the pocket of his waistcoat. "'rubbing it gently in its passage against the delicately buff-coloured duck "'of which that garment was composed. "'So quite too awfully kind of you that I really don't know what to say.' "'There was a marked recall in the manner of his speech, "'of the sweetness of his mother's droop, and the tenderness of her wail.' It was if he had been moved for the moment to moralise, but the eyes he raised to his benefactor had the oddest effect of marking that personage himself as a theme for the moralist. Mr Cashmore, who would have been very red-haired if he had not been very bald, showed a single eyeglass glass and a long upper lip. He was large and jaunty, with the little petulant movements and intense ejaculations that were not in the line of his type. You may say anything you like. If you don't say, you'll repay it. That's always nonsense. I hate it. Harold remained sad, but showed himself really superior. Then I won't say it. Pensively, a minute, he appeared to figure the words, in their absurdity, on the lips of some young man not like himself tactful. I know just what you mean. But I think you know that you ought to tell your father, Mr. Cashmore said. Tell him I've borrowed a view. Mr. Cashmore, good-humouredly demurred, It would serve me right. It's so wretched, my having listened to you. Tell him certainly. He went on after an instant. But what I mean is that if you're in such straits, you should speak to him like a man. Harold smiled at the innocence of a friend who could suppose him not to have exhausted that resource. I'm always speaking to him like a man, and that's just what puts him so awfully out. He denies to my face that I am one. One would suppose to hear him, not only that I'm a small, objectionable child, but that I am scarcely even human. He doesn't conceive me as with human wants. Oh, Mr. Cashmore laughed. You've all, you youngsters, as many once. I know, as an advertisement page of the Times. Harold showed an admiration. That's awfully good. If you think you ought to speak of it, he continued. Do it rather to Mamma. He noted the hour. I'll go, if you'll excuse me, to give you the chance. The visitor referred to his own watch. It's your mother herself who gives the chance, the chances you take. Harold looked kind and simple. She has come in, I know. She'll be with you in a moment. He was halfway to the door, but Mr Cashmore, though so easy, had not done with him. I suppose you mean that if it's only your mother who's told you may depend on her to shield you. Harold turned this over as if it were a questionable sovereign but on second thoughts he wonderfully smiled. Do you think that after you've let me have it all you can tell you could, of course, if you hadn't. He appeared to work it out for Mr Cashmore's benefit. But I don't mind, he added. You're telling Mamma. Don't mind, you mean really? It's annoying her so awfully. The invitation to repent thrown off in this could only strike the young man as absurd. It was so previous to any enjoyment. Harold liked things in their proper order. But at the same time, his evolutions were quick. I dare say I am selfish. But what I was thinking was that the terrific wigging don't you know. Well, I take it from her. She knows about one's life About our having to go on by no fault of her own as our parents start us. She knows all about wants, no one has more than mamma. Mr. Cashmore soundlessly glared his amusement. So she'll say it's all right. Oh, no, she'll let me have it hot. But she'll recognise that at such a pass more must be done for a fellow. And that may lead to something indirectly, don't you see? For she won't tell my father. She'll only, in her own way, work on him. That will put me in a better footing. And for which, therefore, at bottom, I shall have to thank you. The eye assisted by Mr Cashmore's glass had with a discernible growth of something like alarm-fixing during this address, the subject of his beneficence, the thread of their relation somehow lost in the subtler twist, fell back on mere stature, position and property, things always convenient in the presence of crookedness, I shall say nothing to your mother, but I think I shall be rather glad you're not a son of mine. Harold wondered at this new element in their talk. Do your sons never borrow money or their mother's visitors? Mr Cashmore had taken him up, eager, evidently, quite to satisfy him. But the question was caught on the wings by Mrs. Brookenham herself, who had opened the door as her friend, and who quickly advanced with an echo of it. Lady Fanny's visitors, and though her eyes rather avoided than met his own, she seemed to cover her ladyship's husband with a vague but practised sympathy. What on earth are you trying to say to Harold about them thus it was at the end of a few minutes Mr Cashmore on the sofa face to face with her found his consciousness quite purged of its actual sense of his weakness and a new turn given to the idea of what in one's very drawing room might go on behind one's back Harold had quickly vanished, had been tacitly disposed of, and Mrs. Brooke's caller had moved even in the short space of time so far in another direction as to have drawn from her the little cold question, "Presents? You don't mean money.' He clearly felt the importance of expressing at least by his silence and his eyeglass what he meant. Her extravagance is beyond everything and though there are bills enough God knows that do come in to me. I don't see how she pulls through unless there are others that go elsewhere. Mrs. Brookenham had given him his tea her own she had placed on a small table near her, and she could now respond freely to the impulse felt on this of settling herself to something of real interest, except to Harold she was incapable of reproach, though there were a coarse shades in her resignation, and her daughter's report of her to Mr. Longdon as conscious of an absence of prejudice, would have been justified for a spectator by the particular feeling that Mr Cashmore's speech caused her to disclose. What did this wonderfully appear, unless strangely irrelevant? I've no patience when I hear you talk, as if you weren't horribly rich, He looked at her in an instant, as if guessing she might have derived that impression from Harold. What has that to do with it? Does a rich man enjoy any more than a poor, his wife's making a fool of him? Her eyes opened wider. It was one of her very few days of betraying amusement. There was little indeed to be amused at here except his choice of the particular invidious name you know why I don't believe a word Mr Cashmore drank his tea then rose to carry the cup somewhere else and put it down declining with emotion any assistance when he was on the sofa again he resumed their intimate talk I tremendously like to be with you, but you mustn't think I've come here to let you say such mean things to me. Mr. Cashmore and the air of personal good health, the untarnished bloom, which sometimes lent a monstrous serenity to his mention of the barely mentionable, was on occasion balanced or matched by his playful application of extravagant terms to matters of much less moment. You know what I come to you for, Mrs. Brooke. I won't come any more if you're going to be horrid and impossible. You've come to me, I suppose, because for my deep misfortune, I assure you, I've a kind of vision of things, of the wretched miseries, in which you all knot yourselves up, which you yourselves are all little blessed, as if, tumbling about together in your heap, you were a litter of blind kittens. Awfully good that you do lift the burden of my trouble. He laughed out in the manner of a man who made notes for platform use of things that might serve, but... The next moment, he was grave again, as if his observation had reminded him of Harold's praise of his wit. It was this spirit that he abruptly brought out, where by the way is your daughter? I haven't the least idea, I do all I can to enter into her life. but. You can't get into a railway train while it's on the rush. Mr Cashmore swung back into hilarity. You give me lots of things. Do you mean she's so fast? He could keep the ball going. Mrs. Brookenham obliged him with what she meant. No, she's a tremendous dear and we're great friends. But she has her young free life, which by the law of our time, that I'm sure I only want, like all other laws, once I know what they are to accept, she has her precious freshness of feeling, which I say to myself, so far as control is concerned, I ought to respect I try to get her to sit with me and she does so a little because she's kind but before I know it she leaves me again she feels what a difference her presence makes in one's liberty of talk. Mr Cashmore was struck by this picture that's awfully charming of her. Isn't it too dear? The thought of it For Mrs. Brooke seemed fairly to open out vistas, the modern daughter. But not only the ancient mother, Mr. Cashmore smiled. She shook her head with a world of accepted woe. Give me back, give me back one hour of my youth. Oh, I haven't a single thrill left to answer a compliment. I sit here now to face with things as they are. They come in their turn, I assure you. And they find me. Mrs. Brooks sighed. Ready. Nanda stepped on the stage, and I give her up the house. Besides, she went on musingly. It's awfully interesting. It is the modern daughter. We're really doing her. The child and I, and as the modern has always been my note, I've gone in, I mean, frankly, for the first and my very own time. Who is one after all that one should pretend to decline to go where it may lead? Mr Cashmore was unprepared with an answer to this question, and his hostess continued in a different tone. It's sweet, her sparing one. This, for the visitor, was firmer ground. Do you mean about talking before her? Mrs. Brooks' assent was positively tender. She won't have a difference in my freedom. It's as if the dear thing knew, don't you see? What we must keep back. She wants us not to have to think. It's quite maternal, she mused again. Then, as if with the pleasure of presenting it to him afresh, that's the modern daughter. Thank you for listening to this story. I hope you enjoyed hearing the discussion between the two, Mrs. Brooke, Mr. Cashmore, And I hope you're feeling a little bit more sleepy now. Please, if you would like to continue listening to my stories, feel free to go and play one of the other sleep stories. Once again, thank you for listening. Good night.